Ecclesiastes 2:12 through 26. So I thought I uh-uh. so I decided to compare wisdom with foolishness and madness for who can do this better than I the king thought wisdom is better than foolishness just as light is better than darkness for the wise can see where they are going but the fool walk in the dark yet i saw that the fool the wise and the foolish share the same fate both will die so i said to myself since i will end up in up the, the same as the fool um what the value what's the value of all my wisdom this is also meaningless for the wise and the foolish both die the wise will not be remembered any longer than the fool in the days to come, both will be forgotten. So, so I came to hate life because everything done here under the sun is so troubling. Everything is meaningless, like chasing the wind. I came to hate all my hard work here on earth, for I must leave the, to others everything I have earned. And who can tell whether my successors um, will be wise or foolish? Yet they will control everything I I have gained by by my skill and hard work under the sun. How meaningless. So I gave up in despair, questioning the value of all my hard work in this world. Some people work um, wisely with knowledge and skill, then must leave the fruit of their efforts to someone who hasn't worked for it. This, too, is meaningless, a great tragedy. tragedy. So what do people get in this life for all their um, hard work and anxiety. Their days uh, of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night, their minds cannot rest, and it is all meaningless. So I decided there is nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and find satisfaction in work. Then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God for who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him. God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to those who please him. But if a sinner becomes wealthy, God takes the wealth and gives it to those who please him. This, too, is meaningless, like chasing the wind. Thanks be to God. I think I'm on now. Am I on now? Testing, testing. All right. Thank you. That was such a long passage. <laughs> I appreciate it, Cade. That was great. All right. Uh, if you have your Bibles, feel free to turn in them to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Um, we're going to go through what, uh, what Cade read for us today. Um, we've been in Ecclesiastes for a few weeks now. Uh, If you don't have a booklet, feel free to grab one. There's plenty in the back. And we are in Ecclesiastes 2, the last half of of the chapter. Verses 12 through 26 is our passage for today. So I, uh, we've been going through this. We, um, we talked about at the beginning, the first, the first chapter was kind of a summation of the whole book and it was about meaninglessness and everything is meaningless. And then um, uh, we talked about how 
Kohelet, the preacher, teacher guy, uh, looked for pleasure. And he looked at all of these different things like work and art and, um, and sex and um, all of these different areas. He's looking for pleasure and satisfaction. And he comes out and says, it's all meaningless. It's, it's all pointless. None of it can satisfy. Um, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. All right. Um, so to start out with, um, I want to ask you a question. And this came up. Um, my kids obviously sit and they have to listen to me preach uh, most weeks. Uh, and one of my kids was at her, at her friend's house and they were watching one of their, um, one of their anime shows. Um, and, and she came home. She's like, Dad, I was watching this show and it was totally Ecclesiastes. Because this one character was like, this is all, none of this matters. It's all meaningless. Everything in life is meaningless. And she's like, as soon as he said that, I was like, that's Ecclesiastes. Um, <clears throat> and it, it did my heart good to hear that. But I, I want to ask you, uh, before we start, as we begin, where have you seen some of these ideas? Either like in your, maybe it's in your own personal life, like you were striving after something and it came up meaningless. Um, maybe, you, maybe you saw it in pop culture, um, in, in the culture around you, in the people around you. Don't, don't confess somebody else's sin here necessarily. Um, I was, I'll, I'll share one of mine and then um, I'll, I'll uh, pass the mic around a little bit. Um, I was watching uh, American Factory on Netflix. I don't know if you've seen that. Um, it just won an Oscar for documentary. Um, and uh, it's about this old GM factory that, that closed and then um, a glass company called Fuyao from China came in um, and they brought a bunch of their Chinese workers and then they hired a bunch of American workers. And so they're trying to figure out how to meld Chinese and American culture together. And you've got all these, it's, it's super fascinating. Um, and, and the Chinese just don't, they don't understand like, wait a second, you get, you get weekends off? Like you don't work Saturdays and, and Sundays? Um, like you don't work 12 hour days and, and the CEO is really frustrated because they're not as, um, they're, they're not as efficient as the Chinese plant because they they get 15 minute breaks and stuff. Um, and the CEO who founded Fuyao, who his net worth is about 2.4 billion. So one of the, like when we think of these Solomon-like personas who are looking across life, like here's this kind of guy who has made it in business, who has anything his heart could ever desire, right? Um, at his fingertips, he's flying around the country, looking at his factories on his own private jet, um, and, and at the end of it, he says, the China of my youth was poor and undeveloped. I feel I was happier then. Now I live in an era of prosperity and modernity, but I have a sense of loss. I miss the croaking frogs and chirping bugs of my childhood, the wildflowers blooming in the field. In the past decades, I have built so many factories. Have I taken the peace away and destroyed the environment? I don't know if I'm a contributor or a sinner. I only think that way when I'm unhappy. The point of living is to work. Don't you think so? And he asked that last question, like grasping at it, like, somebody please tell me I'm right. Somebody please tell me everything that I've done is actually worth it, all right? It's, it's Ecclesiastes. Here's this guy who has um, gone after business and made it. And he's looking back and he's saying, I don't, I don't know if I'm better off than when I was poor and, um, and in the country. And somebody please just tell me the work was all worth it. 
right? Where have you seen uh, Ecclesiastes? Where did I put it? Oh, here. Where have you seen Ecclesiastes in your lives, in culture? Caitlin. There was a viral video of a high school valedictorian, and he was giving his valedictorian speech, and he was going through um, how excited he was that he was in the running and everything he gave up and the course load that he took on and how he focused so hard and worked so hard and his teachers were cheering him on and his parents were cheering him on and he was like, I'm standing on stage and this is kind of a letdown. Like, <laughs> he literally said yeah. that was his speech was, I can tell you all the things I gave up. I can yeah. tell you all the things I missed out on yeah. and I really thought that I would feel like I get tassels, right? Like, yeah. Woohoo. <laughs> yeah. So he was he was disappointed or that was like the theme of his speech is right. like I thought it would be more than this. So yeah. like I'm sure his good grades weren't horrible to get him into college and whatnot, right? But right. in the end the title and the speech and the um just experience of it, he was more sad about what he gave up yeah. than like the course he chose and the race he ran for the victory at the end. Yeah. It's grasping at the wind. You get what you finally want, and you're like, was it really worth it? Toth? Um, a couple of jobs ago, I had a task that was given to me, and like in the engineering world, sometimes these things take months and years, but without boring you with all the details, it was, they're gonna make this new camera to put on this spacecraft, and it needed this certain way of talking to the computer. And I had to figure out the interface and get it working. And it was really difficult. And the people in charge were constantly like, you're not working hard enough. You need to get this done. This is important. Do, you know, work faster, all that stuff. And we finally get it done. And they're like, hey, great job. Hey, by the way, no one ever managed to design a camera that would work with this. So it's great that you got it working, but no one's <laughs> ever going to use it. We're going to put a cap on it, and it will never do anything. So good job, but yeah. good luck. Yeah. Just that futility, like, we did all this work and it's a Sisyphean task that doesn't go anywhere. Mike? I work at one of those jobs where you work 12 to 14 hours pretty frequently. And uh, we just talk around the shop all the time that we're just basically contributing to our own demise mm. by, uh, we're just like, well, we're, get, we're using ourselves up and mm. that, uh, that, uh, you know, the day that one of us has a heart attack, which happened probably a couple months ago to some guy, they'll replace you next week. Yeah. You're not, you're not special. Yeah. They just use you up like a commodity. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's depressing. But yeah. we try not to think that way. <laughs> yeah. That is very Ecclesiastes, right? Like every time we've read in Ecclesiastes, we finish reading and it's like, oh man, that's depressing, right? Did you have one line or no? Oh, you're stretching. Okay. Um, Liz. Um, I don't know if this is going to sound morbid or not. Um, when I, when I was with my dad, um, during the last week of his life and on, I remember, and I've, I've actually reflected on this moment a lot. Um, it was actually like m maybe an hour or so after he had died and the funeral home hadn't come to pick up his body yet. And I remember looking at him and just having this, like, like, this is how we all go. Yeah. Um, and like was reflecting on his journey and all of his, 
all of the things he had strived for, all of our political fights that we had had mm -hmm. um, and discussions, and it was just like, you take nothing with you. Yeah. You know, and the, <clears throat> the wealthy, the poor, this is how it all ends. Yeah. Um, and so what's the point yeah. <laughs> of all the, yeah. you know, the, the striving for accumulate, you know, accumulation or for whatever purpose that we have in this life, really what, what is left? Yeah. Yeah. And that, that, so that's a great transition into what we're talking about today. Because um, if, you, if you listen uh, while Cade was reading, um, Ecclesiastes 2 is all about how death just evens the playing field. Right? What is the point of anything when we're all just going to die? So um, if you want to take a look at the passage, we're going to start in uh, Ecclesiastes 2, verse 12. And it talks about, remember, we're coming from, he said, I turned to pleasure and I looked for satisfaction in all these pleasures, right? And then he gets to the end and he says, vanity, vanities, it's all vanity, it's all grasping at the wind, nothing can actually satisfy. Okay, so now he's gonna say, I'm turning from pleasure, from pursuing all of those pleasures that the world has to offer. And, and as the king, he's like, trust me, I left no stone unturned here. And if you think you're gonna find a pleasure that wasn't available to me, good luck with that, right? Um, and now he's gonna turn and he's gonna say, um, I'm going to consider wisdom and madness and folly. Um, and, and, and the wording here is kind of weird in, in verse 12. So he says, what can the man do? I'm in the ESV here. What can the man do who comes after the king? Um, and the idea, the, the idea we think he's trying to convey is um, you're not going to be able to, to do better than the king. Like, whoever comes after the king, um, like, I have exceeded all in riches. I've exceeded all in wisdom. If you think you're going to be better off or be better at this than I am, um, you're not. So let me tell you what I've learned because there's no way that you're going you're gonna to beat what I've learned. So verse 13, it says, I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there's more gain in light than in darkness. And it starts out kind of on a hopeful note, right? Hey, there's more gain in wisdom than there is in folly. It's like light and dark. Maybe there's hope after all, but no. We get to 14. The wise person has his eyes in, the head, in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. So it, it keeps up this hopeful um, atmosphere. Like, like you, you, you're walking around like you can see, and the fool is almost like he's blind. You're going to do better off in life if you're wise than you are if you're a fool. And yet I perceive that the same fate or the same event happens to all of them. You all get the same fate. You all, for all of your wisdom, you're just going to die like the fool. You're not going to take anything with you. Um, I don't know if uh, um, any of you celebrated um, Ash Wednesday, right? Um, Ash Wednesday is all about reminding ourselves that, remember, you are, you, from dust you came, and to dust you'll, you'll return. Um, and here, Ecclesiastes, he's like, hey, you know, you'll get, you'll get along better in life if you're wise and you're, if you're a fool, but guess what? You're both going to die. The, you're going you're to suffer the same fate. Um, then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very, why did I invest, it's like the valedictorian, why did I invest so much in good grades? Um, you know, we're all going to die. The, the person at the bottom, the, the guy who dropped out of high school, guess what? He's going to die too. And we're both going to die eventually. And then what am I going to have for all those good grades? Um, the CEO of Fuyao is going to die along with that American worker who is making minimum wage at his factory. 
And then what good was all of his, his riches? Like he was wise and he got along well in this world, but Ecclesiastes, Kohelet here, the teacher, preacher says, why? Did, why, why? I said in my heart, this is also vanity. Um, for the wisest of the fool, there's no enduring remembrance. Nobody's really going to remember you. I don't, I don't know the names of my great-grandparents. Most of us don't. Um, if you know your great-grandparents, you probably can't go a generation beyond that, right? It's very, very rare. My kids um, met their great-grandmother, um, or a couple of their great-grandmothers, um, on my side, on my wife's side, but they're both gone now. Their kids will never meet them, right? Um, we talked about generations go, generations come, um, and, and nobody remembers that you're, you're just gone. So he, he talks about how the wise just dies like the fool. Um, and he gets to verse 17. Um, he says, I hated life. I hated, uh, so I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me for all is vanity and a striving after wind. This is not one of the verses you put on a coffee mug. All right. Um, we think of like when, when, we, when we think of like quotable texts of scripture, um, we think of all of the positive, and, and, and so much of Christianity is about being positive and encouraging, right? Um, like there's radio stations dedicated to positive and encouraging, right? Um, and, and that's good as far as it goes, but it, it's not a holistic Christian view of life. Because there are moments where we are like Ecclesiastes or where um, we read in, uh, Tim read in the call to worship where David is like, man, my bones were aching to the, like, to the point that I wanted to die. And here, Ecclesiastes, Kohelet says, I hate life. You don't, you don't, it's not going on the throw pillow, Ecclesiastes 2.17. I hate life. I'm going to make up t-shirts, Ecclesiastes 2.17. I hate life. But sometimes, like, it's a very honest emotion. Sometimes life just doesn't make sense. And we come to, we come to the, like, we, we feel the same way as Kohelet. Man, I hate life. I hate that um, nothing, it feels like nothing matters. It feels like, like I am serving God or I'm acting wisely. And look, that idiot is the guy who's getting the promotion or who's making all the money or who's having everything go well for him. What's the point? It's not a coffee mug verse. And, and um, it's not the first, he's not the first Old Testament character to feel like everything's stacked against him. I uh, remember Job, after everything happens to Job in Job 3.1, he says, let the day perish wherein I was born. Like, it would have been better um, if I'd never been born. I hate life. 1 Kings 19, Elijah has this mountaintop experience. Like if, if you think of all of the spiritual experiences that you see in the Bible, like the crossing of the reds, there, there's some of these incredible, majestic experiences where God shows himself just so immensely. And afterwards, it feels like there's a lot of depression. So Elijah has this Mount Carmel experience where he calls out the prophets of Baal and he's like, all right, you, um, you take your offering. I'll take my offering on my altar. Let's see who's God answers, right? And who's God answered? Um, and, and Elijah's like, let dump some water on it. Like, get it nice and wet. I want to prove to you who is the real God. And, and that fire is consumed. The prophets of Baal are destroyed. And, and man, imagine a better spiritual experience than that. And what happens right after that? Jezebel wants Elijah dead. Elijah runs away. Um, and what does he say? It's enough now. Lord, just take away my life. I'm no better than my father's. 
We think that like these big, huge spiritual experiences are going to sustain us. And over and over, we see like the, the children of Israel walk through the Red Sea. And on the other side, what do they do? Oh, the wilderness sucks. Let's go back to Egypt, right? They hated life. Elijah hated life. Job hated life. Kohelet here feels like he hates life because it feels like it's, it's just not fair. It's like it's stacked against him. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where it feels like everything is stacked against you. I was thinking about the, the movie, Remember the Titans. If, you, if you're familiar with the movie, um, it's this high school that is forced to integrate um, and their football team now um, is made up of black kids and white kids, and they have to play all these other white schools, right? Um, and there's this movement among all of these white schools that are opposed to integration where they want to get rid of this, um, this black head coach. And so um, they get the refs involved, they get the other teams involved. Um, and so they're playing in this game against one of the big rivals um, and the referee's calling them for hold. Like every time, every play, they're getting called for something. Um, and that's sometimes how, how it feels, right? Like it feels like everything's stacked against us. Nothing is fair. There's supposed to be a, an impartial ref here who's judging impartially. Um, and, and man, just the, the people who are evil are coming out ahead. And I don't know why that is. And it, it doesn't make any sense. I, I, I remember the, you know, the defensive coach brings his defense around. And he's like, he's like, I don't want any excuses. He gives them this big speech. He goes to the ref and he confronts them. He's like, you make them remember forever the night they played the Titans. Like, um, that's one of those movie quotes that's embedded in my brain. It was stacked again, and sometimes it feels that like life is just stacked against us, like the ref is on the other team, um, and, and, and things just aren't working out, and we, we hate it, right? So then he looks at like, okay, well, if, if life, if I, we're all just going to die, he says, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun. Like all, everything I've accumulated, all the wealth and, and power and kingdoms and all of that, I have to leave to somebody else to someone who comes after me, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my, like I'm, I, I may act wisely, but I might actually leave all of the stuff that I gained to a fool, right? We, we see that all the time. And in fact, here, Kohelet, who's adopting a Solomon-like persona, it fits really well because what happened when Solomon died and he left all of it to his son Rehoboam, did it go really well? No, Israel split, and all of a sudden, now you've got the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And, um, and all, of Sol all that Solomon uh, collected, he left to Rehoboam, and now like, it all went to waste, right? Uh, Peter N. says this in his, uh, in his commentary. He says, why is this absurd? Why does it seem so absurd to leave it to somebody else? He says, because should the man be a fool, he would benefit from that for which he has not labored. A, a potential situation that further throws out of kilter the notion that wisdom brings blessing, but foolishness brings negative consequences. You can act wisely, and then you'll leave everything to maybe somebody who's a fool. And that just throws everything out, like the person who is foolish ends up getting all of the proceeds of the wise. How is that fair? He goes on in 20 to 23. Um, he says, so I turned about, gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Sometimes a person who's toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. 
What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with, for which, uh, with which he toils beneath the sun? All his days are full of sorrow. Like this is what Mike's getting at. Like, like there's, there's so much sorrow. What do you get out of it? You're working 12, 14 hour days. What do you get out of it? All his days are full of sorrow. His work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. It's like this kind of anxiety, this kind of meaninglessness ends up building on itself because not only are you, are you working so hard, but now your work feels meaningless. So you lay awake at night like, why is my work so meaningless? And now you're not even getting rest. And so then it feels more meaningless. Now you're filled with more. Let me tell you, like not being able to sleep um, is like is huge as it relates to mental health and depression. Um, and so when you feel that meaninglessness of work and it keeps you up at night, what does that do? It's like this, this dirty cycle that keeps you um, stuck. You feel meaningless, so you can't sleep, and now you're tired, you're depressed, and your work becomes more and more meaningless, and you spiral and spiral and spiral. This also is, it, this also is grasping after the wind. Work is full of despair. The hopelessness of work leads to more and more and more despair. Then we get to verse 24, where Kohelet basically says, man, in, in light of all of this despair, like there's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. Like just, in, just get enjoyment out of life wherever you can. Like work is meaningless, you're going to leave it to a fool. All of your wise actions are going to be gone. Um, just, just enjoy life. Just enjoy food and drink. Um, find enjoyment in your work. This also I saw is from the hand of God. And at the end, it feels kind of spiritual here. Okay, um, we're reading it with like Western Christian eyes. Um, and, and he talks about like, um, this also I saw is from the hand of God for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment for to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. Um, and that sounds spiritual and that sounds almost fair. Like the one who pleases God, um, God is going to reward him, but look at how that's, I, I don't think that's what he's saying because look at how he ends. This also is vanity. This also is hevel. This also is smoke that you're grasping after, chasing after the wind. So what does he mean then? When it talks about the one who pleases God, it really means um, God is going to give these things to whoever he wants to give them to. God is going to do whatever he pleases. Like you go out, you try to get enjoyment, it's not, but it's not up to you. Like God's going to give enjoyment and riches and, and the sinner, um, God's going to take something and give it to whoever he wants to give it to. All right. It's, it's not this like God is going to act just and fair in this life and the righteous are going to be rewarded for their labor. It's God's going to give it to whoever he wants to give it to. And you have no control over that. This is vanity and striving after the wind. Like you, you, you want to act wisely? Sure. Go ahead. Enjoy your life. That's fine. Your enjoyment will be limited to whatever God wants it to be. And any gain that you get, God's going to give it to whoever he wants to give it to. So, yeah, go ahead. It's vanity. Striving. Is, does this feel dark? Does it, I mean, but can we relate to this? Do, do, do you feel this way fairly often, right? That the world just doesn't make sense sometimes. So what, uh, what do we learn from this? Let me, let, me, let me have a couple takeaways. Our big idea here 
Death makes life and work feel meaningless, but God offers us joy in the midst of it, okay? So we're, we're going to try to wrest some hope out of this as best we can. Um, but we need to be honest about what he's saying. We need to be honest about um, these kinds of, like when we, when we talk about a holistic Christian life, the American dream would have us insulate ourselves as much from suffering. It would have us create as much meaning in our lives as we possibly can. Um, and Ecclesiastes comes along and, and tries to shatter that for us and say, listen, a holistic Christian life will include suffering. Um, I was thinking, like, as we, we talk about um, foster care um, and, and working with foster care, and there's so many people that are like, oh, I, I could never do that. You know, I, I'd get too attached. Like, well, that's actually what they need. So if you get attached to kids easily, that's perfect. Um, but we, we need to reorient our worldview um, away from uh, avoiding suffering and over to embracing suffering. Right? And Ecclesiastes helps us do that because it forces us to face the darkness of the world, the darkness that exists in a broken world, where we so often feel like it's meaningless. So it's meaningless. It's vanity. Nothing matters. So what, what, what do we get out of this passage? Uh, two points really quick. Remember that you are, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. This is the comment. I don't know. Did anybody here celebrate Ash Wednesday this past Wednesday? Anybody do that? Yeah. Um, and so um, as you're getting your, you know, the forehead, that I, you know, I was, I was traveling uh, on Ash Wednesday, um, and there were several people at the airport, you know, with, uh, um, with uh, the dust, the dirt. Um, this, is, this is part of the Ash Wednesday process. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Um, being confronted with death. Um, is important. And Ecclesiastes is saying, listen, we need to wrestle with death. We need to wrestle with um, what happens when we die. Secondly, and maybe a little bit more hopefully, um, God can be found in the simple things of life. <clears throat> God can be found in the simple things of life. It all feels meaningless. Um, go enjoy food and drink with the people you love. Find some enjoyment in your work. Um, and, and God is there to meet you. And I, I want to talk about that a little bit more. So where do we struggle to believe this, though? Where, where is our struggle? If this is true, um, where do we struggle with this? Um, first off, we tend to make too much and too little of death. Um, and, and here's what I mean. We, we are very terrified by the specter of death. Okay? We, we give death more power than it's due very often. Okay, like we we feel as Christians, we're supposed to be very triumphant about death. Um, but we a, a lot of times we also fall over to the other side where we make too little of it. Um, we invest so much in this life, forgetting that we're going to die and leave it all behind. And, and so this thinking about death is often a healthy corrective. Like what what do I really want my life? What, what is important for me to leave behind? I'm not going to take you know, my house with me to the grave. I'm not going to take any of my riches, my cars. Um, I'm not going to take any of that. And it's important to think about that. Like we invest so much in this life and finding satisfaction in things under the sun, in earthly things. Um, and we forget that, hey, that's all, like all that's going to be gone. You're not going to take it with you. We make too much and too little of death. We're terrified of, of it. And so then we don't think about it. 
and we live our lives as if we're, we're going to live forever, as if we don't have to worry about death. Secondly, so God can be found in the simple things of life, but we make a relationship with God individualistic and complicated. Individualistic and complicated. So when I think about, like if I were to ask the average American evangelical, um, how do you develop a relationship with God? What do you think, what do you think they would say? Read your Bible, pray every day, right? Read your Bible, pray every day, grow, grow, grow. Neglect your Bible, forget to pray, shrink, right? We grew up with that, right? This is how you get close to God. Have your quiet time, read your Bible, pray. These are not bad things, okay? So right off the bat, let me, let me make sure we understand. These are not bad things necessarily. But remember when we talked about, like when we did our series on how to read your Bible, there was one element of reading your Bible that is meant to be done in community with other people. Like you, you are not supposed to go to the Bible and make these amazing discoveries by yourself. You're supposed to be formed in community with other people um, alongside you. That's why we emphasize so much. Like, I think a lot of churches reduce um, knowing God down to like a sermon, okay? Um, so our, our formative aspect is just like the preaching of God's word, and that's central to everything we do. That's not who we are, Okay? Um, we really believe you are going to be formed by being in relationship with other believers who you love and, and eat with and enjoy and, and work alongside of, all right? That's not to say that preaching is not important. We get up, I, I put in a lot of work every week into, into this, and I know our, like Rob and Bobby and Johnny and others who, who come on Sunday mornings, they do as well. But if I'm honest, it's not the, it's not the most important thing that we do. All right? We make relationship with God individualistic and complicated where um, I remember growing up, we would search for all of these mountaintop experiences with God, right? Um, I need to go to camp and get this, this super high experience with God. And, and hey, those, are, those can be helpful, okay? Um, but just remember our biblical story where all of these mountaintop experiences are followed by often this dark depression where it's like, I, don't, I, don't, I hate life. Where is God? God doesn't even love me. All right. Um, as opposed to finding God, um, I think it was, was it Tish Warren that wrote Liturgy of the Ordinary, um, where we, we find God in, um, in our local relationships. We find God um, in good food and good friends and, and all of these different things. Like those are liturgies that are formative for us. Um, instead of trying to chase these complicated experiences where I have this spiritual high um, and forgetting that, hey, those highs come with a crash right? A relationship with God is not individualistic. You can't do it by yourself. Um, it's not complicated. You don't have to go way out of your way to find a relationship with God. You don't have to like forsake all your goods and go in a monastery. And, um, and like those can be like, I have a friend who did like the quiet retreat, right? The, you're in silence for a weekend or something like that. Like those, those, are, those are good. Um, like you leave aside everything and you're just quiet for a weekend. Um, I, honestly, I can't imagine that. I can't, <laughs> can't picture what that's like, right? And, it, and it's, there's probably a terrifying aspect to it. Um, those things can be helpful. But we tend to rely on those. Like, I, ne I need that in order to fix my relationship with God. Um, or I need that in order to maintain my relationship with God. Like, we make them more than they are. 
I'm not saying they're not helpful. I'm not saying they're not beneficial. They're great. If you have the opportunity, try it. But if you put the weight of your relationship with God on it, it's going to fail. So how is Jesus the hero? First off, everything you accumulate in life, you're going to lose after death. And Jesus comes along in the Sermon on the Mount and he says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break up, break in and steal. This is very Ecclesiastes right here. You're accumulating all this wealth. Guess what? Moth and rust are going to corrupt it. Thieves are just going to take it. Um, you're going to leave it behind when you die. What, what good is it to you? So what does he counter that with? If I can't take anything with me, if everything I, I've accumulated through all my wisdom is going to be left to, I hope they're not fools, um, is going to be left to somebody who's potentially foolish, then what's the, what, what do I do then? Here's what Jesus says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What are you working towards? Like, what are your long-term goals? And if they're physical and earthly, just remember, you're not going to take them with you when you die. If they're under the sun, just remember, you might leave them to somebody who is foolish, right? What if we reorient our long-term goals around things that are not corruptible, things that are not going to pass away? I want my children to know that I love them and feel secure in that love and attachment. I don't just want to fill our house with, you know, TVs and video games and all of this stuff. Um, and I, like, I'm confessing to you as, as much as I'm preaching to you, right? It's very easy to try to satisfy people with earthly things as opposed to developing that connection where, where they know that they are loved. And that's something that will go on and on generation after generation. You see, you see what I mean? Where are we investing? Jesus offers us treasure that lasts beyond death. Secondly, Jesus meets us in the simple things of life. I love that when Jesus rose from the dead and he goes to meet his disciples, one of the, one of the uh, uh, situations that just stands out to me is like all the disciples are out fishing um, and Jesus calls to them and they realize that it's him and they, they come rushing back and Peter like throws off his clothes and swims as fast as he can to get to Jesus. And what do they do together? They eat breakfast. Like this very simple thing, like let's enjoy. Here is Jesus after his resurrection meeting his disciples. And what do they do? They don't go away for a spiritual retreat. They don't go, you know, to a monastery. Like what do they do? Jesus makes them some food and they eat, right? We, we, we overcomplicate religion so much. Um, it's like, hey, everything we do, we, we got like, to have a Bible study. It's great. Um, I, I love studying the Bible. In fact, I probably nerd out on that um, more than I should. Um, and I'm the kind of guy that forgets that maybe it's better for us to sit and enjoy a meal together, okay? Um, I love that like our missional communities have elements of Bible study, um, but often that's not necessarily the most formative thing about them, okay? Uh, I'm not telling you don't have a Bible study or don't study the Bible. What I'm saying is um, hold it alongside of just the simple act of enjoying a meal together and don't raise one over the other, right? 
Jesus meets us in those simple things. So I want to ask you one more question before we finish up. Um, I just want to ask you to share, what are some of those simple things where um, where you feel like you've met God? Um, there, was, there was one time, I'll, I'll share one of ours. Um, uh, when, when we were younger, um, this is a few years ago, I was still a teacher, um, and teachers don't make much money, um, if you didn't know that. Um, and so we didn't very often go out for fancy dinners, but um, I officiated a wedding for Caminata. Uh, if you remember Caminata Schwerth, um, they moved to uh, Washington a while back. Um, and they gave us a gift card to a fancy restaurant. Um, bittersweet. It's over on Alameda by I-25. Um, and it was like a really fancy, it was the kind of restaurant where they, like, they might tell you what you're going to eat instead of like you, or, you know, like there's a menu, but you're probably better off just asking them, what, what should I eat? Um, and I remember going there and enjoying a meal. Um, and I asked the waitress, like, um, can you, can you pair, like, here's what I, here's what I think I want to eat. Um, can you pair a drink with it? And, um, and there was something about like a really, really well-made meal um, that was just the right portions with the right drinking paired with it. I don't know if I had experienced that before where it was like, man, this is, this is uh, uh, evidence of the kingdom. This is God. This is like a thin place here. Uh, C.S. Lewis talks about there's these thin places where we feel the presence of God. We see the kingdom kind of breaking in a little bit. Um, and what, it, was, it was a dinner. It was a dinner out with my wife. Um, it, there wasn't like we didn't plan ahead to like spend time in prayer together, or read our Bibles together. Um, God has met me in those places as well. Um, but it was one of those things like here, here is a meal um, that you get to enjoy with somebody you love. And, and God met us there. Does, does that make sense? What are some of those thin places, those simple things where you and it could be like you were reading your Bible by yourself. Like, OK, that's yeah. But where, where, where has God met you? Jess? Uh, so I like to bake a lot. And mm. I often feel like um, I'm fighting brokenness while I'm baking. <laughs> yeah. Because it doesn't turn out right, especially as you move across like um, the Colorado area and all the altitude yeah. changes and stuff. It just doesn't, oh, the same recipe doesn't ever turn out the same way. So um, when something comes out and it, it actually acts the way it's supposed to act. I feel like I like get to see a little bit of the kingdom, which yeah. is weird. But it, it's fun, like uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie *Chariots of Fire*, but Eric Liddell is famous for saying, "Like when I run, I feel the pleasure of God. Like I feel like I'm doing what I'm meant to do." And there's these little things where we get enjoyment. It's like when I bake, when when it when it turns out exactly like I intended it, like you you feel the presence. Like this is this is partly what I'm made for, right, Lori? Last December, my son Eric, as you know, he's a teacher of music, and music is very important to us. Yeah. I'm a singer, and I've been a singer forever, and he uh, had a show at uh, Kepner High School, or yeah. Junior High School, and it's really uh, personal to me because I went there, yeah. and I sang in the choir, and I met my husband there, their father. Yeah. And just, it was amazing. The, the show was kind of <laughs> crazy, because there was a million little kids. I don't even know how he does it, but just being there yeah. and seeing him and bringing all of the great memories I had there, that was pretty awesome. That's awesome, yeah. 
No, those, those kind of experiences where you feel like that cross-generational, like you feel God in that. Like nobody goes to uh, a middle school performance like for any other reason other than families involved, right? No offense to all our middle schoolers, but nobody's buying tickets just to come, you know, see you randomly. But there's this incredible joy to see like something I love is something my son loves and um, and is something that he's passionate about and that he's working towards. Yeah, that's great. Rob? Um, So we get to, our missional community gets to serve at the um, Severe Weather Shelter. And um, the thing that came to mind when you first asked the question was uh, last time we did and um, Tim and I got to sit with this guy named Steven, and Steven's probably late 50s or 60s, I think, and uh, spent the last 13 years living out by the airport in a camp out there. And we just sat, we shared a meal with him, and we sat and listened to him tell us stories about how much he loves birds and notices birds and um, takes care of birds, all kinds of birds. Um, And I couldn't help I think, I think that there's a couple of things. The one is that there's just this natural other that occurs with people who are uh, struggling with sustainable shelter, where yeah. they're just naturally looked at as not, uh, I hate to say it as harshly as not human, but, yeah. but basically, you know, yeah. the, like people would rather them move away or get out of our, our sight and things like that. And um, so, so just being able to like view him as human in the first place, but then second, like to hear his experiences of life, um, I felt like I was seeing the image of God and in some amazing ways, it, it felt like a holy experience in a thin place right there. And I told him so too. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and, and it was just a meal shared with somebody who's needy, yeah. you know. And doesn't Jesus say like, that's exactly where we're gonna find, like Jesus says, um, when he's separating the sheep and the goats, like you, um, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. And, 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 and then he tells the, the sheep, um, I was hungry, you gave me food, I was thirsty, you gave me drink. And they're like, when did we do that? When, when did we actually see you? And, and he says, when you did it for the least of these, my brothers. Like, like how do we encounter Jesus? In some cases, it's just sharing a meal with, with another person, especially um, someone who is vulnerable and, and oppressed and impoverished. Um, that's where Jesus can reveal himself personally. Yeah, Toth? Actually, what Jess said just reminded me, you know, that story I told of the project that got canceled. Yeah. But before that happened, I mean, I remember there was a moment where we're in the lab working with the thing and we finally got it working. Like yeah. after all this trouble, a little green LED turns on, tells you your simulation's working. So it's like, you know, it, it's really both sides of what Ecclesiastes says, like it's all meaningless to so just try to take pleasure in your work. So yeah. at least there was that moment like, well, I got the thing working, so they yeah. won't use it, that's fine. At least I did something good. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that's, that's really important because when we come to this, it feels like, wow, all of my work is meaningless. And, uh, and that's not what he's saying, right? Um, he's saying like if we place all of, our, all of the weight of meaning on our work, then it fails us and it feels like, here, I accumulated all these things and then I got to give it to a fool. Um, but then what does he say? Like you should, what, what do we do with it? Enjoy your work. Like there is enjoyment there. It just can't bear the weight of all of our meaning right? There are times at work where I'm trying to solve a really hard problem and, and all of a sudden like the, the solution comes and you fix it and everybody's happy. And it's like, yes, that felt good. Like I like, 
a little bit of stress. I don't know, I don't know if, if any of you are like that. Like, I like to be put in those situations and I complain about them, but I actually enjoy them. All right, you know what I'm talking about? Like, oh, it's so stressful. Like, okay, I, I actually enjoyed that. Um, but there's an element of like, um, I'm, I'm going to fix this. And people are looking to me and then I fix it. And like, you feel that, um, that enjoyment. It can't bear the weight of my meaning. And if I continue to chase it, then I'll continue to look for more and more stressful situations, which ultimately I'm going to fail at. And then I will lose that, right? Like there's, there's enjoyment in it, but it can't bear the weight of meaning. Anybody else? I'll go Jenny and then Katie. Um, so mine is definitely uh, music, just mm. growing up in a musical home. And I think that there are a lot of different um, times I can think of where it just was this amazing, it wasn't, it was, it was mind, emotions, but I can think of one very specific instance where, um, so when I'm in a lot of stress, one of my big, one of the ways that I relieve that stress is, um, is putting on music, like all by myself with nobody else, no distractions. And it wasn't even like a Christian song that came on. It was just this beautiful classical song. Yeah. Um, and I remember just like like tears were just coming yeah. down my face and just the enjoyment of um, <clears throat> this beautiful gift from God that wasn't even necessarily, there were no words. Yeah. It was just this beautiful moment of like rest and peace that was like given to me in the beauty of art. Um, yeah. And that was that was like wonderful, and I've experienced yeah. that many times. Isn't that such a such a great testament to common grace that there there are people who um, maybe they even hate God, maybe they they don't believe in God or whatever, um, but because they're made in the image of God, they're able to create something so beautiful that it draws you to God, right? They are evangelizing uh, for God, and they don't they don't even mean to. Like we, I remember going to a concert for a secular band, and it being a, almost a worshipful experience, right? And and that's not what they were trying to do at all, right? Katie. Um, I work for an oncologist, and I feel like there's seasons like we go through waves of like really good news and really bad news. Mm. And um, I was in a season of really bad news and it was just hard. Like every single day was devastating news for people. Mm. And one morning I got Paige out of bed and she's two and a half. And she like opened her window and she was, mommy, the sun came back. <laughs> and I was like, you're right, baby girl. The sun comes back every day. And like what something we take for granted every morning, she now says the sun came back. <laughs> and so like on those days that seems so dark and like, like, why am I doing this? Um, I just, I tell myself the sun comes back tomorrow. Yeah. It's that in the middle of lamentations, like right dead, yeah, right dead in the middle, um, when Jeremiah is lamenting all of the devastation and destruction of Israel and the hopelessness of it, um, what does he stop in the middle and say? Your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Like, like being able to hold on to that in the middle of um, brokenness. Michael? One yes, more. please. Um, I, uh, when I think of a thin place, um, like you were talking about, I, I can't help but think of mountains. Mm. Um, for more than one reason, you know, thin air. But um, <laughs> I just, I, I love the, 
how you there are some biblical stories of God coming down to mountaintops. Yeah. Um, and I still always think about when I do get a chance to go up high that th- this is not a, uh, it, it's kind of God's place. Like yeah. it's, it's not our place to be there. Um, we would die if we stayed. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that, you know, God still kind of touches those mountaintops. Um, and so when I'm up there, I'm, I'm just always thankful to be there but always mindful of like, I'm not worthy to stay there. And like no human is. And it it kind of parallels, I feel like with Ecclesiastes where no matter how much planning um, or or no matter who you are, if you're rich or poor, the the playing field is very leveled. Yeah. Like you were saying, um, when you're you're on that mountaintop. Um, I I can't help but think of this past summer, I took a friend on his uh, first 14er and I've done a few, um, and I prepared a lot and had the right gear and everything, and we still ended up getting chased down by a lightning storm. Oh yeah. And you know, and I had studied the weather, and I, you know, and I had I had prepared as much as I thought, but that was all vanity. Ultimately, <laughs> it was all yeah. it was all it didn't mean anything because that cloud wasn't supposed to be there, but we still yeah. ended up running. Yeah. You know, and and it just I don't know I think of that's kind of my my spot to go back to that's a thin place that yeah um that i i I see god in i feel like it's like you lack so much control in those situations um and god becomes even more real when you lack that control right amber so for me this past friday we went and had an ultrasound and uh this pregnancy has been stressful yeah um we've had we were had, had a lot of concerns about the baby and so you know we're there the everyone's seen an ultrasound it's you know hard to see you right. know what everything is and um you know we get the news that he's a, he's a very large baby and um you know so i immediately get scared you know he's measuring very big i get i get scared and then all of a sudden on on the screen pops this picture of the baby they went 3d on us and mm. didn't tell us so it went from you know these squiggly lines to this perfect yeah. <laughs> chunky little baby boy and uh i, yeah. I felt like that was that was god's gift to me at that point just saying like, look he's he's perfect he's, yeah he's beautiful so oh such a good gift of god gift. right lizzie so right now i'm going through like this very hard time mm-hmm. um i have a lot of stuff going on and kai did this cute thing the other day um, he's with my best friend, and he comes to my house, or to our house, to hang out, and he runs up to me, and he's never done this before. He held his arms out, and he yelled, Mommy, and it just gave me hope that I shouldn't just give up on everything, yeah. and he is my, I mean, he's yeah. what I'm here for. Yeah, he's such a good gift of God, right? It's God revealing his care um, in the middle of brokenness. And so often children are able to um, see that. Like I saw this, this uh, viral video going around of a guy um, delivering a pizza. Um, I don't know if you saw that one, the toddler um, in the house. And, and our daughter does this too. Like she loves to play pizza man and she loves to answer the door when the pizza man comes. Um, and this toddler ran out and for whatever reason gave the guy a big hug. Um, and why? Like it turns out he had lost his child who was around the same age um, fairly recently. Um, and it's sometimes like, like kids just have this 
um, intuition about um, struggles and suffering it feels. Um, I know when um, when Abriana was very little, um, there was something about like her joy and presence that that helped us in some dark times, and um, and she was ministering to us um, even more than we were <laughs> ministering to her. Um, but God is there in those in those little things. Like God is perfectly revealed, um, best revealed in scripture. Um, and it's important for us to come back for, um, for our conception of God. Um, but we feel his care. We feel his presence. We feel his love so often in all of these other little places. Um, and because we're not expecting him there, we don't look for him there. Um, and we just need to be reminded, hey, in the middle of all this meaningless, meaninglessness, um, there's nothing better for a person than they should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. Like the, that's, that's good and God has given that to us. And so he gives us one other simple thing to do and we do it every week. Um, and it's a physical, earthly, under the sun thing of taking the bread um, and enjoying it um, and being reminded of his presence, um, not just because of what it pictures, but because of what it is. It is like, hopefully it, it tastes good. Um, and you enjoy it, um, and you just get a momentary like understanding of like here's something good that God is offering. Um, he didn't offer us like something super gross. <laughs> he totally could have, um, but he gave us bread and wine and juice, um, and he wants us to enjoy that together and be reminded of our connection to him. So let's pray, and we'll go to communion. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Um, for all of these ways that you provide thin places, all these ways that you show us your care and love, um, whether it is in success at work or um, nature and being in the mountains, feeling that lack of control um, and feeling your presence. Um, maybe it's through our children, um, even before they're born uh, or after they're born, um, or even when they're teenagers and just feeling the, um, the love and connection and, and uh, that, you, uh, that they are God's good grace to us, a gift. Um, God, I pray that you would teach us to find you in all of these little things. We, we enjoy a good meal. We see it as a, a foretaste of the kingdom. When we have success at work, we see it as a foretaste of the kingdom. Um, and we know that, that, that you love us um, in the midst of a broken and meaningless world. Pray that we would not succumb to hopelessness. We wouldn't see the meaninglessness of the world and, um, and be tempted to give up, but we would press into the enjoyments you offer us um, and feel your presence there and know that you have given us uh, a treasure um, that we can take with us, um, that we don't have to leave behind in death. And God, I pray that we would orient our lives around that. Um, we love you. We thank you for the bread and the cup that we're about to take. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.